You got a pitcher on a team. Sure. The pitcher's name. Tomorrow. You don't want to tell me today? I'm telling you, then man. Go ahead. Tomorrow. What time? What time? What? What time tomorrow? You're gonna tell me who's pitching? Now listen, who is not pitching? I'll who break is... your arm, you say. Ron and Anian. One of the things he suggested you wait to repair is air conditioning and the heating system. And I can tell you why that's probably one of the dumbest things you can do. It actually can be life-threatening in certain situations. The Car Doctor. If you're in the fall or if you're in the middle of winter, you can't drive a car without heat. I don't care where you live, um, except if it's southern Florida or southern California or Arizona. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Oh, that's our shortstop. Come in. I'm always happy when it gets to be baseball season. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here. It's time to start your engines as long as they do. And if they don't, stick around anyway because we'll figure it out the next two hours. 855-560-9900. Again, 855-560-9900 is the phone number. And I am here this hour as always. And keep in mind, if you are podcasting this radio show, we thank you for that. Please click subscribe on your player if you are able to. And keep in mind that we are here live in the studio Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you wish to call and talk to me at 855-560-9900, if I'm not on the air in your neck of the woods, if I'm never on the air in your neck of the woods, if you're a born, tried-and-true podcaster, 855-560-9900 gets you in 2 to 4 Saturday afternoons Eastern Time. And we can talk about your car and its problem. That's what this radio show is all about. As uh, Keep in mind, please, podcasts are at cardoctorshow.com. Tune in, iHeart, iTunes, and all the usual good places. Let's, um, you know, I was going to talk to you a little bit about, no, let's not do that this right this second. I do want to talk about, let me, get, let, me, let me get this going because I keep forgetting to do this. And I, I, I want to do this. We're going to give this away. I think we're going to give this away. Maybe we'll do this next week. We're going to give away, we'll do this next week. We're going to give away, next week, we are going to give away a 3M PPS system, which is the new spray gun technology from the folks at 3M. And we're going to keep doing that next week for sure. And it seems like it seems like spring here in the studio, so maybe we'll all be thinking and talking about working on our cars uh, even more so next week. We've got the windows open in the studio, the sun's shining coming in from the west. It's really great. Um, but we'll, we'll do that. Just um, keep in mind that what 3M has done is they've taken having a spray gun and made it simple so you can do it at home. So if you're doing repairs in the house, uh, you know, working on the car in the garage, you want to paint in the car, it's got it's got professional technology like HVLP, and um, it can do touch-up, it can do precision painting, it can do a vertical or horizontal spray pattern. It does all those things that a pro gun does, but at a fraction of the cost. We're going to give you one away uh, next week. We'll do that next week, Tom. Mark the, uh, mark the calendar. So I want to get that going. And also, a quick car doctor shout-out. True story, you know... <laughs> Every week, you guys all get me, all right? Um, you know, you, you got to understand what life is like. You spend five days a week working on cars, one day a week doing radio, and that Sunday you kind of collapse and you say, is it worth it to maintain the pace? Tuesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, the mail comes at the shop, and there's an envelope there from Joe and the kids out at the Community Auto College in Toledo, Ohio. And there's a letter in there. And they're talking about, since you've got a Monte Carlo now, you need some Monte Carlo key rings. And they sent me 
a set of Monte Carlo key rings for the 72 Monte Carlo, which we haven't gotten up from Texas yet. We're still working on that. We will. We're trying to find transport. Um, but I got to tell you, it really touched me, and it lets me know, you know, I see things like that and uh, affecting the next generation of mechanics. Guess what? Guess we'll do this another 25 years. What do you say, Tom? Let's just keep going, and uh, let's just keep it going and um, see what good we can do and try and leave the place better than we found it. And that's uh, that's the motto of the car doctor. That's what we try and do each and every day. Yeah, by the way, if anybody is down in Menard, Texas, I'm not exactly sure where Menard is, but if this is Houston and this is Dallas, Menard is like somewhere off to the west and up. If you find the middle of Texas, it's to the left of nowhere. Uh, is Menard is what they're telling me. It's a very small town in Texas, and that's where I found my 72 Monte Carlo. If anybody's going by with an 18-wheeler, stop in at the local garage, ask for John, and tell him you're there to pick up the car, bring it to New Jersey. There's a Car Doctor T-shirt in it for you. How do you like that? And uh, we'll throw you a few bucks, but um, that's another story for another day. Let's kick the garage doors open. Let's get going. Let's go talk to Mike in New Hampton, New York, with an 05 Pontiac vibe. Michael, welcome to the Car hey. Doctor, sir. I'm in the mood to fix cars. What's going on? How you doing, Mike? Good. What do, I, what do you got? Yeah, well, I got. I have a Pontiac Vibe 2005. The check engine lights uh, came on like somewhere in the middle of 2015, and uh, my mechanic uh, put a new catalytic converter in it uh, beginning of last year, and it only stayed off. The light only stayed off for three days. Okay. I had gotten it inspected, fortunately, so I didn't really do anything about it. And uh, then... This past September, all of a sudden, the check engine light went off and stayed off for probably almost a month. So I decided to have it inspected then, so just to avoid having any issues. And then it came back on, and it's been on since. And I, I just can't – well, one thing I forgot to mention is that when I brought the car back to him after the the light came back on, after he changed the catalytic converter, he told me now, now it's an intake uh, manifold leak. So – I'm not sure why it stayed off for that whole month, but it is back on again. I don't. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on it. Let me ask you this, Mike. The, go go back to the first problem with the first code and the first check engine light. Was it a, was it a P zero four twenty? Do you remember the code? Was it catalytic converter related? Yeah, I believe it was. Yeah. Okay. Was the light on for any length of time? Yeah, it stayed on the whole time from. The time it came on initially, and it just stayed on until... Well, uh, when I say it stayed on for any length of time, was it on for three months before you repaired it? Was it on for longer than that? Was it on for two days? Oh, yeah, no, it was on It was on a long time because, like I say, I it came on, like, uh, probably, like, uh, late summer, early fall of 2015, and I didn't have the new cat put in until January of 2016. Okay, so it was on four or five months. Right. Okay. You ever um, you ever get hurt and you go to the doctor and he says, well, you got to stop doing that and you continue to do that and your body just reacts to it and that problem gets worse and worse and worse and then other things develop over time, but you don't find that problem out until you fix the first one? Right. Same thing. All right. Computers act, there's, there's a higher, it's, it's a hierarchy of code operation and strategy. So it takes things from the top and works its way down. All right. It's a very sequential way of thinking. P0420 is a pretty critical fault code in any car. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to look at and address its systems, all right, because a computer is all about systems. It's like the human body. The human body is all about systems. You know, you, you get up tomorrow morning and you've got a sore throat and a runny, and a, and a runny nose and, and bleary eyes, you're sick. But your brain has to process that, and it has to look at certain key factors to decide, is he sick, is it a tummy ache, does his tooth hurt, has he got a hangnail, what is it? 
All right. You don't realize you're doing it, but you do it. That's that's the human equation. Computers do it the same way. They just do it as fast as the human brain. And they're just deciding what systems are working and what aren't on a car computer. It decides, well, cats down. I'm not really going to do a lot of other testing or data collection because I got to keep the car going until this guy takes it in and gets it fixed. You have the cat done. The P0420, if that had returned, I'd think, well, we've got another issue here. But it sounds like you're describing you've probably got a P0171 lean fuel condition bank one. Yeah, I think that's it. Okay. So now we're into the second fault that occurred. P0171 means that the vehicle has an imbalance of oxygen in the air-fuel mixture at the wrong moment in the wrong times. Typically, this can be one of two things with these cars. It can be an underperforming mass airflow sensor, or it can be, as your mechanic says, a bad intake manifold gasket. The intake manifold gasket will start to leak air or cause vacuum leaks during warm-up. If he were to go in and look at freeze frame, freeze frame being the video snapshot that the computer records when the code triggers, it doesn't show exact conditions. It shows approximate conditions at the moment just before the code or the fault sets. I'd be willing to bet that if the, well, let me say it like this. If the freeze frame shows that the fault occurs during warm-up between about 160 and 180 degrees, closer to 160, maybe even a little less than 160, yeah, that's intake. Because usually what happens is until things expand and seal up, the intake manifold leaks a little bit of air, creates a vacuum leak, and allows the system to be imbalanced. If it, sh- if it shows it happening at full warm-up, closed throttle going down the road at 50 miles an hour, I'm going to think more mass airflow. But there's an easy way to test both. All right. And you don't need a fancy scan tool. And here's a great example of where I would I would force somebody because the way I would do this is I would force somebody to use nothing more, nothing fancier than a plain old OBD2 scan tool. Just something down and dirty and basic. All right. I want to go in and look at fuel trim and I want to go in and look at calculated load. Calculated load is a computer generated number that shows uh, let's see. How can I explain it? Breathe in with all your might, Mike. Give it a big. Okay. The, the, okay. That's your calculated load. That's your air intake. All right. If the computer can measure that, it would decide what's Mike's intake system able to do. Can Mike hit 100% based on stored values? Anything over 85% wide open throttle foot to the floor out the headlight and you see calculated load 85% or higher? That mass airflow is probably okay. There's other things that can fail, and there's other factors to consider, but it's probably okay. Typically, we see 85 90% or less on a mass airflow failure because it can't properly report the amount of incoming air. As a matter of fact, up on Facebook or on the Car Doctor YouTube channel back in June of last year, I did, I did a little uh, video talking about calculated load and mass airflow and showed a printout using the Launch X431 scan tool. So that's there if you want to go back and find it and take a look at it. So that's, okay. that's mass airflow potential. Intake leak, if the intake is leaking, I'll get a bottle of propane, my little regulator. I took a brake line. I peened the end shut. I made it so that it comes to a point, and I'll just very gently during warm-up while watching on the scan tool, looking at the O2 sensor readings or watching fuel trim, I'll just gently, with a a very light stream of propane, 
let it sniff around the intake. When I see it go up or change, and I'll actually hear the engine change in most cases, I know I've got an intake leak. Oh, it's, it's actually drawing in the uh, propane? Right. It actually draws the propane in, and the engine accounts for it and, 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 and changes the way it's running. So okay. not, not an uncommon situation. The only other possibility that's, oh, it's third down on the list and it's in the 20 percentile is every once in a while you'll get a purge valve issue, but a purge valve issue on these usually causes a rich running condition, not a lean condition. It just depends on when it happens in the system. So the real question comes back to, do you trust your mechanic? Well, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, then that's a problem, all right, because – this can't be because it, unless this is properly diagnosed, it could be mass air, it could be intake, and you can't take a chance on 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 just what if because it gets to be too expensive. But okay, well, um, I mean, I, I know that it definitely does run rough when it's really cold until it warms up, and right. then it runs really well. Then it, my question is: Why did it stay off for that length of time? If if there was a, a chronic issue, why would it, the light stay off for almost a whole month? Because it depends on the temperature, it depends on the conditions, and how and when it ran its monitor. You know, okay. it's 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 sort of like you when you're getting sick, and as the weather changes, your body reacts differently. So does the car. Monitors, okay. monitors, and the way the computer runs its test is all dependent upon condition and uh, how you're driving the vehicle and a bunch of other factors. And until you get the check engine light on this vehicle to stay out longer than a week and no other fault codes coming back so you know all the systems are working properly, you won't have that answer. All right, sir. Okay. I got to go, Mikey. I'm up against the clock, and uh, I appreciate the call. If you need anything else, you know where to find me. Good luck to you and your mechanic. 855-560-9900. We're coming back right after this. Hey, welcome back. We're on the name of the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's get over to the phones. Let's go talk to Camille in Chestertown, Maryland, and uh, see what's going on, 05 Chrysler Sebring. Camille, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Hi. Thanks so much for taking my call. You're welcome. I've just gone to 93,000 miles, and I was reading my maintenance book, and it said to have the timing belt replaced. Okay. Well, and when I did more investigation, I have a 2.7-liter uh, engine. And that one, my mechanic told me that that should that doesn't have a timing belt, that it has a timing chain. Correct. Uh, and my mechanic also told me that it, they very seldom break, but that they would continue to monitor my belts and stuff when they do my oil change, which I do about every 3,000 miles. Okay. Um, now, I my question is, does the timing belt, is it a uh, timing chain, is that known to break or what? No, the chains themselves, think of a bicycle chain and sprockets, Camille. Yeah. It's, it's pretty much the same thing. On this particular engine, they're not known to break. Of course, keeping the oil changed on a regular basis really puts the odds in your favor that you won't have any problems, so keep doing that. The, the, the bigger problem with the 27V6 is sludge. But it's, it sounds like you've got a smart mechanic in that he's staying on top of the oil change, and doing that helps keep the sludge factor to a minimum and should avoid the problem altogether. Where, where you're going to start to get into doing a timing chain or maybe some timing chain components is at some point this may need a water pump. Okay. And I believe the water pump is driven off the timing chain on this particular engine. So when you get into it that deep, at that point, you start to look at timing chain components. So you sort of wait for the, the water pump issue and deal with it then, you know, if it's, okay. if it's worth fixing at that stage. 
Okay, now the, the mechanic, and I do have confidence in him. Good. Uh, he he should be able to uh, determine if the water pump has gone or will my car stop. I'm very challenged. Yeah. No. 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 Think of it like this. Um. Um. Uh, you have a washing machine. I do. Okay. You ever have you ever have the the seals on the on the main drum leak? Okay. Right. How did how did you, how did you know the drum was leaking? I saw it. Right. There was water on the floor, right? Yeah, right. So you'll know when the water pump's leaking because you'll see drips and drops on the driveway or in the, or in the garage. Okay. Same thing. Okay. Good enough. Now, yeah, good. Now, now, a water pump can also fail. A washing machine drum can also fail because the bearing, the piece that supports it, gets noisy. Mm-hmm. But you'll hear it. You'll hear it like okay. you heard it in the washing machine. You'll hear it in the water pump. Okay. So, okay. I really appreciate your time. Oh, Thank you're very you. welcome. You're very okay. welcome. See, now, that's a great call. All right. I think we're going to start to do a Donald Trump thing. Okay. Good call, bad call, like he did at the press conference. Good question, bad question. That's what we should have a good question, bad question conference. Although I'm not going to tell anybody that they're like the BBC and CNN almost made up news media because we don't want to go there. That's not um, that's not what this radio show is about. Let's go over and talk to Doug, New Rochelle, New York, 97 Chevy. And I think this is a return call. Doug, did we talk last week? Do I, do I remember right? A couple of weeks ago. How, how are you? How good, sir. Been? What's going on? You know, the funny thing is I'm at work right now, so I can't recall the cold it was. But anyways, I told you I had the injectors done, and there was a problem, and they redid them again. So now right. the car seems to be running fine, but the check engine light, service engine light keeps coming back on. So we said it was one, he was telling me one of the uh, O2 centers I replaced it. So the thing stayed off for about two weeks. Now it popped back on again. So I put my uh, in my code tester on it. You know, it's got a generic code, and I just can't remember. It said fuel air something. I, I just can't. Uh, well, here's so here's the here's the question: If is it an O2 sensor performance code? Is it an O2 sensor heater circuit, or is it a lean or rich air fuel mixture fault? I think it was lean air rich. I sent Tom the code when I when I sent him my questions. What I was asking for, he actually has it. Okay. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Stay tight. Sit tight. And let me uh, let me go talk to Tom and see if he has anything in his vast arsenal of uh, notes, which he probably doesn't. Tom's still writing with crayons, so I have to get him off that and uh, get him into the 21st century. So we'll see what he's got. But you stay put right where you are. I'm on an Annie in the Car Doctor. 855-560-990 is the number. 9900 is the number. Don't forget the extra zero, folks. And I'll return right after this. Stay put. Welcome back. Ron and Nini, the car doctor, 855-560-9900-247 number. Give us a call Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, and we'll be here to answer your question if you're podcasting this radio show. And don't forget to click subscribe on your podcasts. Okay, back to the calls. Doug, you're still there, sir. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Tom informs me that you told him you had a P as in Peter, 1133. Is that correct? That's it. That sounds familiar, right? So an 1133 is bank one Sensor 1, O2 sensor, adaptive or operational range, meaning it's not seeing a correct swing or, you know, it's not seeing high to lows. It's uh, it's, it's it's stuck lean or it's, it's, it's questioning performance. 1999, the uh, cars compared to today were a little bit remedial. It was like, right. reme- it was like remedial math. And, um, you know, it's, it's not as, it's not as clear cut and um, they didn't test them uh, to the level that they tested on a modern vehicle. Uh, so anyway, mm-hmm. 
So the questions I've got are, you had done injectors. There are two upstream O2s. There's a bank 102 and a bank 202, correct, on this vehicle? Right, I did the bank, I did the bank 2. Okay, you did the bank two. I think you're supposed Number to do the one. bank. I think you're looking to do the bank one. I think you did. The, I think you did the wrong O2. Eleven thirty-three references bank one sensor one. It's not switching correctly. Okay, and what you can try is bank one and bank two should be interchangeable. I believe they are the same. And okay. while yeah. I, while I wouldn't do this in the shop, I would actually have the ability to test it and go through a series of things using propane and some of the other things, but I believe the sensors are the same side to side. If you want, get out to, let's see, where can I send you? Get out to O'ReillyAuto.com. Go out to O'ReillyAuto.com. You can look up the vehicle. They'll give you an application guide there, O'ReillyAuto.com, and you can, you know, 97 Chevy 1500, and, you know, tell them you want uh, O2 sensors upstream or, you know, bank one, bank two, upstream oxygen sensors before the cat, and I bet you it's the same part number, and if it is, Swap them. If the problem follows the sensor, if you now set, I think the code you're going to get is an 1135. It will be different right. from the 1133. If it follows the sensor, you know it's a sensor. Okay? If you, st- right. if you still get an 1133, then you're going to have to get down and dirty with the scan tool and look to see what the O2 sensor swing ranges are and, you know, actually get into measuring its performance, and that's a separate conversation on a different day. Definitely, yeah. Okay. So, All right, Ron. You're very welcome, sir. Appreciate that. Thanks you, so you're much. You're very welcome. You have a good rest of the day. Let's go over and talk to Rodney in Michigan, 03 Pontiac Bonneville, and uh, see what's going on. Rodney, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Well, uh, first-time caller, I just wanted to uh, touch base. I'm having, uh, after having driven through one of what I like to call basements uh, here in Michigan uh, during the winter time, I had uh, hit so hard that I uh, had my wheel bearing the lower ball joint, and my strut on the right-hand side blow out. Uh, and I replaced the wheel bearing, the fall, lower ball joints, and the, and the fall strut out, and, fall and out. shocks. Fall out, Rodney? Like parts fell off the car? Fall out? Well, no. They, uh, as I dropped through, right, as I, when I dropped into this, into this pothole, okay. uh, it actually damaged the wheel bearing, and then everything was... Um, as far as blowing it out, started shock started leaking, strut started leaking, and the ball joint was uh, not. And your fillings were rattled. Smoothly. You know, and yeah. Your, yeah, your fillings were rattled. Okay, I got gotcha. you. So where are we at now? So, so I replaced everything, and uh, basically, uh, when I replaced the struts and the shocks, the front end of the car raised up about two and a quarter inches. And as I start, as I drive it now, when I make a, a hard right turn or a left turn, uh, it sounds like the CV joints are grinding. Did you use a loaded strut? Uh, quick strut, yes. Quick strut, yeah. You know, it, it, th- and this is why I won't use a quick strut, and maybe that's your answer, all right? The, one of the reasons I won't use a quick strut in this application is because if you were to look up coil springs for the front of that vehicle from GM, there's probably no less than four or five specific applications. You know, GM offered just a variety of tuning packages and suspension packages, and I could never understand how they can sell a quick strut that covers them all. 
it, 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 it doesn't make sense to me. Now, I've got to tell you, okay, the argument can be made different spring rate, but the car should still sit level, then why does the car sit two and a quarter inches higher? Either something's been assembled wrong or you've got the wrong part in the vehicle if it's not the way it is because you're right. Two and a quarter inches is excessive, and you you could be hurting the CV joints. There's got to be a better answer than that. Either that or the strut guys are in cahoots with the axle manufacturers and they're trying to sell more axles, which, <laughs> you know, hey, listen, I wouldn't put anything past anybody today. Um, and I'm yeah, kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm only kidding, really. Um, you know, can you go back and verify the part application and then whoever the manufacturer is, give them a call and say, hey, how come the car's sitting two and a quarter inches high? Uh, you know, is that where it's supposed to be? I'm sure, you know, I'm sure it's going to settle and come down over time, but... Two and a quarter inches, that's that's quite a bit. A quarter inch, half inch, three quarters of an yeah, inch. Yeah, that's what I expected, right? Right. You know, but if, if you're telling me the car looks like a speedboat now, that the up the front is up and the back is down, that that sounds wrong. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, right? that, that, that sounds wrong. That's, if it looks like a speedboat on Lake Michigan, I don't think so. Uh, you know, something is either assembled wrong or there's a there's a there's a there's an incorrect part in this vehicle somewhere. All right. So that's what I got for you, kiddo. Okay. Well, I start checking around. Okay. You let me know what happens, Rodney. And, uh, you know, just out of curiosity, where did you get the struts from? Uh, I got them from uh, O'Reilly's. Yeah. Go back and talk to the guys at O'Reilly's. They stand behind it. They're a good bunch of guys. You know, it's, it's real easy. Anything could be looked up wrong. Don't be afraid to say it. I know O'Reilly is a sponsor of this show, but you know what? We we hold them to a standard like they hold us. Like you know, it's back and forth, and they're good. They're good for what they do. They really are. They'll make it right. Okay. Yep, absolutely. So, um, you let us know what happens, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. All right. All right. Well, I appreciate it. You're Thank very you. welcome, Rodney. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Let's pull over and take a pause. I'm Ron Anning, the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron Haney, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. Let's get over and talk to Derek in Texas, 08 Ford Expedition. Derek, let's ask the important question first. You ready? Yes, sir. What part of Texas? Friendswood, down closer towards Galveston. So you're not near Menard, huh? No, sir. Oh, okay. I couldn't I couldn't twist your arm to take a little ride. It's probably just around the corner. How big could Texas be? Um, yeah. You, you could put a trailer on the back of that expedition and just... You know, if I could get the car to Houston, I've I've got the problem solved. But um, anyway, so uh, what can I do for you today? Okay, so my wife's car, when we got it, we noticed it probably a week after we bought it used. When you go to take off and coming in and out of first gear, the transmission kind of does like a little kick. Okay. So it's a hard, it's it a hard it it's a hard it's a hard upshift. So it's it's a it's a it's a shot in the seat of your pants, shifting from first to second, or on the downshift into first. Both. Both. Okay, so it's a hard shift in and out of first gear. Yeah. All right. Uh, all the time, every time. Yes. Any dashboard warning lights on? No, nothing. Okay. Anybody attempt to diagnose this? No, and that's the thing. I I looked up online and. Several people with the same year, make, and model said they've experienced the same things, and Ford issued a, a service warning out to people. Right. But when I contacted Ford, they said my vehicle doesn't fall under that category. 
Right. There's a bulletin out there that they talk about problems with the mechatronic or the valve body assembly being at fault. There's also a bulletin that talks about issues with the control balls in the valve body. There's also more than a few bulletins out there that talk about reflashing the trans control module, changing the levels, you know, most current calibration for this particular problem and other issues, too. So, you know, I, I think where this has to start is with a diagnosis of some sort and determine okay. is this something that can be repaired by itself or is it going to require a transmission teardown, at which case, depending upon the mileage, you might be getting into, you know, overhauling the trans. How many miles were on the truck? 143,000. Okay. So, you know, it could be getting to that stage of transmission overhaul, but it could also just be something else. You got to do a diagnosis. And also, okay. keep, also keep in mind, just because there's no dashboard warning lights on yet, doesn't do, mean there isn't. Doesn't mean there isn't. You know, it's like you could wait, and I don't wish this upon you, my friend, but you could wake up tomorrow with a head cold, but you feel fine today. Until you get, yeah. up, until you get up in the morning and your computer picks up, you know, Gee, how do I feel? Well, then you'll know. Uh, yeah. You know, and that's and that then you'll turn on your check engine light, and so will the trans. So and see, that's what I was figuring is have to get it checked out. But the other thing that's doing, I've had it checked out, and it's to do with the brake. Like my wife was trying to slow down the other day, and she said it felt like the brake failed on her, and started making this real bad grinding noise. Well, it actually happened to me last week when I was driving it and I think the grinding noise she's talking about is actually I could feel it in the pedal I mean you could hear it but it almost felt like there was just like air pockets in the pedal and it was like surging and that's why like you ever you ever you ever get a vehicle into an ABS event Derek no um take the car out somewhere find a slick road and nobody else is around and do 10 miles an hour and then step on the brake. Or do 15, 20 miles an hour and step on the brake hard. And and, and, okay. and and you'll feel, and I'm just doing this for the sake of educating you what, it, what an ABS event feels like. You'll, uh-huh. you'll feel the pedal. It just it just starts to vibrate. It feels like the funhouse floor at the, at the summer carnival. All right? Okay. And if, if that's the case, what you're describing to me with the brakes, what your wife and what you're going through is... It sounds like you've got a false ABS event happening. Okay. In other words, you or her, you it's guys... kicking on when it shouldn't be. Right. You're approaching a stop sign, and it, it, it thinks one of the wheels is approaching lockup because what, what, what puts a vehicle into an ABS event? It sees one wheel moving at a slower rate than the others, so it assumes it's approaching lockup for one reason or another. And okay. it starts to pulse the brakes to prevent you from locking up the wheel and skidding anti-lock brakes. That's what the name implies. So that being said, you've probably got a faulty sensor tone ring, something along those lines. Would not be completely uncommon. Okay. Right? Now, it's possible, and I've seen this in some cases, where faults within the ABS are affecting trans operation too if it turns out that it's the if this has a differential speed sensor and that's an input for trans information you know what if it's think about it if it's screwing up the brakes at less than 10 miles an hour when does the trans shift in and in and out of first 8 to 15 yeah. miles an hour so the the two could be related 
So when, okay. you, when you take it in for diagnosis, make sure you inform them. I've got this going on, and I've got that going on, and they got to be a little bit of Columbo here. They've got to try and tie the two ends together. All right, kiddo. So do that and uh, give us a call back. And if you need more, we're here, and uh, we appreciate uh, we appreciate you being there. Thanks a lot, Derek. Good luck. 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's coming back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy, the car doctor here. Let's uh, let's finish up this hour. Let's get over and talk to Steve in Wisconsin and see what's going on. Hey, here. how's it going? Good, Steve. What can I do for you, sir? I've got a 2003 GMC Sierra 1500, and about two months ago, I my check engine light came on, so I, I, I've got a tool, scan tool, and I put it on there, and and it's the, the P171 uh, Lean and Bank 1, 174 Lean and Bank 4, or Bank 2. Right, okay. Okay. So the first thing I did is is I just I just cleaned my my mass airflow sensor thing, making thinking maybe it was dirty, and that didn't the code came back. All right. So I've replaced it, okay. and I still got it. So now I'm thinking, I'm either got a intake manifold leak or my O2 sensors are shot. So let's 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 talk about this. The scan tool you have, does it yes. give, does it give you the ability to go in and look at freeze frame? Do you know what freeze frame is? Yes, it does, but I've never done it. Okay. So freeze frame, freeze frame is when, when the problem's about to happen, the engine controller, the PCM, takes a video snapshot. It says, hey, you know, maybe Steve's going to want to come and look at this. We'll give him some more information. It's, it's helping you play detective. So if you go look at freeze frame, it may not show you specific components related to the fault code. For example, if it had an O2 sensor fault, like an 1135 heater circuit performance, it may not necessarily show you current flow or sensor operation, but it may show you things like coolant temp and engine speed and vehicle speed and intake speed, intake temp, okay. things like that. So it is okay. a it is a snapshot. I always think five seconds before the problem happened or a rough approximation of what you were headed into. All right. Think of rough seas. Mm-hmm. The seas always start to swell before it becomes a storm. It's showing you the swells. All right. Okay. So that being said. All right, 171174 is a problem common to both banks. So you're correct in looking at the mass there. Um, you weren't really correct in changing it because here's the simple test. You ready? Go look, yep. at, go look at your scan tool. Does it give you calculated load? Calculated load is a number that the computer stores based on its programming as far as what the engine's ability is to ingest air and how the mass airflow sensor is reporting it. Typically, okay. on a good mass airflow sensor... You take it out and find a find a good spot in the road. You'll see from you know from a thirty five forty mile kick. You put your foot in the headlight. You'll see that mass airflow calculated load value go up over eighty five percent. Typically, you can hit a hundred percent. Make sure there's no. Okay. Make sure you're out in the way way wide open when you do this. All right, right because it'll right. it'll take off. So that being said, yeah, I would I would set myself up with a bottle of propane. And a brake line, and you know, do a little hunting around, looking, do a little propane enrichment. I would be looking for intake manifold gaskets. They changed color on them. I think the new ones are green, and the old ones are orange, or it's vice versa. It's been a while since I've done it, but you've probably got leaking intake manifold gaskets sniffing around with propane or some other fuel enrichment while looking at the O2 sensor performance. Will tell you if the sensors are working correctly. 
little propane, you should see those O2s hit well over 800 millivolts, and then you'll know what to do and what you got to go from there. Steve, if you need more help, you give me a call back next week. Till then, I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless.